Joe, I'm going to start by going off script a little bit. I think there's a, a couple of things that are, are important enough to put this talk aside for just a minute. I'm going to get back to the talk, but I want to, I want to say a couple of things. One is that I think that we, the church, have been sloppy in our thinking about our relationship to the state. Recall that the Apostle Paul was in Jerusalem and they were seeking to execute him. And Paul appealed to Rome and his life was spared, but he ultimately was taken to Rome and the state executed him. Now, the reason I bring this up is because the period of history in which we live is unusual. If, if you look at the early history of the church, the church was persecuted by the state. There were 10 Roman persecutions, and they ran from 64 A.D. to 310 A.D., something then fantastic happened after that. And that is the emperor, a guy by the name of Constantine, came to Christ. And he sanctioned Christianity. So just understand what happened to these Christians. They're hunted. They're persecuted. And then, like that, they're in the emperor's court. And so what happened then is that the interests of the church and the interests of the state became intertwined. And hence, the church began to see things in temporal events. We've got to change society, we've got to make it Christian, etc., etc., and the church and state were in harmony. Now, that, that marriage of church and state has been intact in the Christian West up until our day. Okay? So, things like the Magna Carta, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution of the United States, were, were, were formed, came out of this, this marriage. And Christians very easily were confused because of this tight relationship. And gentlemen, let me just point out to you, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution are not the Bible. Not only so, much of what they say is not even biblical. Let me give you one example. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator, their creator, with certain inalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Gentlemen, where in the Bible do you see God granting you rights? It doesn't exist. That is a myth. Now, the state can grant rights, but understand, it can also take them away. And I would suggest to you men that what is happening is that this intertwining of the interests of the state and the interests of the church is coming undone in the West. So when I was young, I could count on the state affirming me in being a Christian. 
They would not hinder me in any way in the expressions of my faith. You cannot count on that anymore. Do you understand? That's come apart. And men, our mission is not to change the state. It is not to change society. It is, do, it is to do the work that Jesus Christ gave us, which is the making of disciples. Our problem, men, is not with the state. If you have a problem with the state, you're not thinking clearly. Your problem is with Jesus Christ. Together? Okay? Now, I want to make another point. Would someone grab a microphone and read Judges chapter 3, verses 1 and 2? Judges chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all who had not experienced any of the wars of Canaan, only in order that the generations of the son of, sons of Israel might be taught war, those who had not experienced it formerly. Did you hear what he just said? God left the pagan nations in the promised land for the express purpose of teaching men how to war. Gentlemen, we as followers of Jesus Christ are not warriors. And we need to be. How do you war as a Christian? Let me suggest that the bedrock of warring as a Christian is becoming Christ-like. And in becoming Christ-like, and that's a process, right? That takes time. That takes effort. But you have to remember, men, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And what that means is those people who disagree with you, those people who maybe hate you, you love those people because those people are not your problem. Your problem is up here in the spiritual realm. And so we love our enemies, but we hate the lies that are told. You war by becoming like Jesus Christ. Gentlemen, he is the only real man that this planet has produced. All the rest of us are just pretenders. But he offers you a yoke every day. Are you in that yoke right now? Are you? Are you staying in it? Because men, being in the yoke with Christ may not make you a man, but it'll allow you to act like one. And gentlemen, when you enter that yoke, understand you're looking this way And he's looking that way. What do I mean by that? You and I can only see the past 
and the present. We can't see the future. But he is looking that way. He knows the future because he, he made the future. And so if you're in the yoke with him, you're, you're in the only safe place in the universe. And you can act like a man. Third point. Holden, would you read Hebrews 13? Verses 5 and 6. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Yeah. I will never desert you. And will I ever forsake you? So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. What shall man do to me? Men, we have to become fearless with respect to people. And if you fear God, you have nothing to fear from people. Make one last point. Hebrews 4.3 says that God's works were finished from the foundation of the world. You understand what that means? When God rested on the sixth day, everything was completed, including all of history. It was all written. It's all done. Now, I, I know most of you guys are ASU fans, so I'm going to tell a U of A story. I hope you'll forgive me. I hope you still love me. Thank you. I, I, Mo, it's not God I'm worried about. It's you. As some of you know, U of A won a national championship in basketball in 1997. It was a long time ago, but it was fun. I remember, you, you got to win six games to do that. I remember every one of them. And I sat and watched all of them with the same group of guys because we were superstitious sports dudes. Everybody had to sit in the same place each game. And, um, and it, was, it was a blast. But the championship game was not a blast. We were playing Kentucky, and it was a really, really tight game. Uh, every missed free throw, you go, oh, man. Every turnover, gosh. Every stupid shot, you're just in agony. Oh, we're going to lose this thing. And it goes into overtime, and we, and we eventually win the game. Now, I hated, I truly hated watching the game, but I recorded it. And I watched it again afterwards. And every turnover, I go, we got this. (laughs) 
We got this in history. You understand? I didn't want to become emotional. I even asked God not to do this to me. He doesn't listen to me. Any clinics anywhere? That's okay. So work. Listen. Uh. <laughs> Thank you, Trevor. Um, guys, God was gracious enough to tell us that we got this. Don't be afraid. Okay, we got this. I love you guys. Chichi Rodriguez, a golfer, said, I trust God because he can see a lot further down the fairway than I can. Yeah, yeah. Gentlemen, there is a race set for each of you. It's your race, it's individual. All you have to do is run that race. That's all you have to do. But you've got to figure out how to do it. And you've got to get in the yoke with Jesus Christ every morning and never leave. Beg Him. Don't let me leave. Don't let me depart. It's the only safe place for you. Okay. Back on script. Any, any comments or questions about that? Amen. Your heart speaks pretty loud. Uh, Jerry, just real quick, not about that, but uh, you did mention something that I need, uh, I'd like some clarity on. You said that if you are, and I'm paraphrasing here, so you may need uh, to reiterate but you said something along the lines of if you are yoked with Christ, you may not be a man, but you will be... Uh, you, do you remember saying something like... Yeah, but you, you'll be able to act like one. Yeah. Can you bring some clarity for me, please? Thank you. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> in, in Genesis 3.10... The fall has taken place and Adam and Eve go hide from the presence of God. God goes looking for them. And in 310, God, God just before this, God, in, in 9, God says, where are you? And in 310, Adam says, well, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And I read that and I say to myself, that describes me. See, my nakedness is that I, I know that I really don't have what it takes to be a man. It's deep in, I know, I just know it's true. And that makes me fearful. It makes me afraid that you'll find out that I'm not really a man and you'll reject me. And so I hide. There's a gazillion ways to hide. You can hide with wealth. You can hide with 
academic achievement. You can hide with sex. You can hide with drugs and alcohol. You can do a million things. You can be a, a bully, bluster and bravado, pretending to be somebody you're not. Just anything so that people don't find out. But there's something important about that. If you, if you understand, God, I really don't have what it takes. Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Weakness is the only attribute that the scripture commends that I actually have in abundance. So, recognizing what you really are and saying, God, I, I, I wish it were different, but it's not. And so, since you're the only real man, my only hope of becoming one is to be yoked with you. Help. Anything else? Okay. Yes. I was just hoping to get your uh, opinion or uh, some biblical context. What would it look like then for a Christian man to participate in the political process in any capacity? Whether that be voting, civil disobedience, or anything. It, what does that look like for us to do it right? My brother, the, the question is one of stewardship. You could have asked me, what does it look like to steward your house or to steward your car? I don't know, it's dealer's choice. So too with the government. It's dealer's choice. But just understand what you're dealing with. Your car is going to burn. Your house is going to burn. The government's going to burn. And my encouragement to all of us is don't waste your ammo on secondary targets. But all of these items being stewardship items, you'll you give an account to the Lord. So get before him and ask him how, how he wants you to steward it. All right, sports fans, we've got a ways to go. Um, where we ended, at least I think where we ended, is we were talking about four books. And the Bible is the book through which you view your understanding of who we as human beings are. So that's the second book, the book of man. And through the Bible, you understand the book of nature. That is, what is creation all about? And finally, the fourth book, is the book of history. What is the meaning of history? And my recommendation to you, or my, my thesis to you yesterday, is that all of those books are telling the same story if you know how to interpret them. And the same story is Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Everything in creation is telling that same story. So, let me just read out of Colossians 1, 15 to 18 to make this point about 
just how big Jesus is. This is Colossians 1, verses 15 to 18. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the church, head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. That you have to have straight if you're ever going to acquire a heart of wisdom. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Gentlemen, the good news is he likes to share. And so if you believe the Bible, if you actually believe what is said there, you will appear a crud of a lot smarter than you really are. Just believe what it says. Live what it says. And make no apologies for doing it. So, I want to just say very, very briefly about the Bible. So we're going to go through those four books. And the first book is the Bible. And there's a, there's a ton of verses on this. And I, I'm, not, I'm not going to do them. Um, but let me just say that the Bible is the only infallible guide to truth. Every other source you touch has errors in it. Everything else will lead you astray if, you, if it contradicts the Bible in any way. And men, again, this is the failure of the church. We have allowed the culture to tell us how to read the Bible. And that's a colossal, colossal mistake. You cannot afford it. If the church says that passage does not mean what it so obviously says, do not go along with them. They are not telling you the truth. Questions or discussion about that? Yes, sir, in the back row. I'm curious. Hey, Lee. Hey, thanks. I'm curious about at which point do you break fellowship. I'm going to a church, and they're telling me that 1 Timothy 2, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over man. They're telling me it's a cultural thing, and they're giving me this, that, and the other thing. And my family likes the church, and I like being with my family in church, and I'm wondering at what point do I say, I can't, I can't keep going here. I think they're going, you know, on a train wreck. Lee, I had a buddy. He's now with the Lord. He was a godly man. But he said something that, that really disturbed me. And it was about the issue you're talking about. He, he, was, he was an elder in his church. He was, he was a wise old buzzard. Um, and I really respected and admired him. But he said something 
that disturbed me very deeply. And his statement was this. And he was talking about the, the question that you're raising with the church. And we talk about women and their leadership in the church. And he said, Jerry, my choke point is queers. That's exactly what he said. He was an old Texan. That's how he talked. That's what he said. And I thought to myself, how can you draw a line anywhere other than where the Bible draws it? On what basis do you make those decisions? So I would just say to you, Lee, you need to wrestle with that question. Where are you going to draw the line? And I would get before the Lord and ask him. And ask him, God, if I draw the line somewhere other than where you do, am I in trouble with you? Now, I understand with families, but, Lee, what has happened to us is incrementally untrue things have gotten into the church. This will not stop. Your church will not stop with women. You can just count on that. It's just a matter of time. The Bible says what it says. And you have to decide what you're going to do about it. Any other questions? All right, let's talk about the book of man. Biblically speaking, we are fallen creatures without the resources to do anything about it. The lie that our culture has told us about man is that we are masters of our own destiny. Not only so, we, man, we are the measure of all things. That is the lie that is being told. That lie has led to other lies. Genesis 1.27 God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. The obvious is no longer true. Men the world and the church have been systematically tearing out pages of the Bible saying this doesn't apply, this doesn't apply. But nobody has ever torn out Genesis one twenty seven, male and female. Do you understand what's happened to us? Nobody's ever disputed that. But to dispute it today is to be politically incorrect and ostracized. This difference between men and women historically has been the foundation on which civilizations have been built. The family unit is the foundation of civilizations. And gentlemen, it is no accident that the nuclear family has been under assault. And particularly, the dads. It is to destroy all of these differences that so obviously exist. And gentlemen, this is not new. 
understand that this idea goes all the way back at least to Plato's Republic. Now, Plato's like a 4th century B.C. guy. And I'd suggest to you that Plato's Republic is the book for the intellectuals because Plato says what, in order for the world to work, we have to get philosopher kings. We have to get the smartest guys and let them lead. And in his description of what the perfect republic would look like, he said the philosopher kings will arrange marriages. It won't be up to you. The philosopher kings will do it. Then any children that are produced from those marriages will be raised by the state. And if we happen to have a kid who is not quite up to snuff, a little baby that there's some problems with him, we'll take that little baby up on a hill, leave him there and let him die. Plato's Republic. The intellectuals, there's an intellectual class that wants to tell you how to live. And gentlemen, we are rapidly, we are rapidly becoming two groups of people. There is one group who knows. They just know. Don't ask them how, but they just know. And then there's this large group, all the rest of us, who must obey. And that is going to culminate into one person. And he's going to be the Antichrist. And he's, he knows, and you must obey. That's where this is going. Now, with respect to man, we're on the threshold of what some have called transhumanism. In transhumanism, we become both creature and creator. We're pursuing everlasting life. That's, that's the, the goal of all of this. And so, feverish work is being put in to integrating human beings into machines, into computers, and so, and so on, that we might live forever. Gentlemen, remember that God expelled Adam and Eve from the garden so that they would not eat from the tree of life. Do you understand why he did that? Yeah. If they they had eaten of the tree of life, they would have become unredeemable. Why? Because the soul that sins, it must die. Now you can pay that price two ways. You can pay it with your own death. In which case you go to hell. Or you can pay it with the death of Jesus Christ, in which case you spend eternity with him. If these guys actually achieve their goal and they have eternal life, they are forever locked in to eternal death. And men, in all this we forget, what about my soul? What about my soul? Who will save it? 
So our children are the target of these things. This stuff may be obvious to you. It's not obvious to your children. You've got to be aware enough and conversant enough that you can deal with the ideas that are being poured into your kids. And men, you in Arizona, I can't remember the law that allows you to use state funds to go to whatever school you want. Use those funds. I don't know anything about the public school where your kids go to. What I do know is the public schools have demonstrated amply that they cannot be trusted. Now, you may think yours is great. Maybe it is. But as a whole, they cannot be trusted with the education of our kids. And you have the ability to do something about it. The truth is that we're sinners in need of a Savior. Let me suggest two ways that God makes us aware of our need for a Savior. First is in Ecclesiastes 3.11. Solomon says, He, that is God, has made everything appropriate or beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in their hearts. Eternity in their hearts, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from beginning even to the end. Eternity in their hearts. James talked this morning about this hole in his chest. Augustine called that the God-shaped vacuum. It's a place made for Jesus Christ, and only he can fill it. You may experience that hole as a longing, as an ache, but nothing satisfies and nothing can fill save Christ. And men, we illegitimately try to fill it with a lot of things. Money, illicit sex, power, education, or simply being too busy so that you don't have to think about it. You don't have to experience the pain. Resist those temptations and allow Jesus to fill that hole. It is given to you by God to produce in you a hunger and thirst for him. Now, there's something else that God tells us about ourselves to create the same desperation that that hole creates. And that's also in Ecclesiastes. It's chapter 4, verse 4. It's a scary verse, men. Let me read it to you. I have seen that every labor and every skill which is done is the result of rivalry between a man and his neighbor. Let me repeat that. I have seen that every labor and every skill which is done is the result of rivalry between a man and his neighbor. Do you understand what he's saying? You and I are driven by covetousness. We're driven by competition. And we tend to say, no, no, no. That's actually a good thing. That's, that's just ambition. 
And Solomon calls it for what it is. Amen. The reason I say this is important is because there is a danger that exists for those who are serious about Jesus Christ and who begin to walk with him and their lives begin to change and they become, they're becoming increasingly Christ-like and that danger, men, of self-righteousness is pride. That danger of becoming something other than what you were before, you are in danger of pride. And I suggest that this notion of God, this covetousness, this ambition that is so woven into my soul, I can't expel it, but I want it expelled. And each time you look at your spiritual resume and think, I'm rocking it, remember that. Deep in your soul, is something you don't want to talk about. And only Jesus can remove it. Your improvement in Christ is a wonderful thing. Just don't allow it to make you proud. So we have these two goads to Christ-likeness. The whole and this covetousness that is in us. Questions or comments about that? Three eleven, I believe. Three eleven. Let's talk about nature. Scripture is clear that you can learn a lot about God from the observation of creation. And I'm using nature and creation creation interchangeably. So, though nature can teach you a lot, you have to remember that it is a fallen nature. And there are certain dangers in learning from nature. The first danger is that you view nature as permanent and man as transient. The exact opposite is true. There is no such thing as a mere mortal. We all live for better or for worse forever. You are an eternal being. And you who know Jesus Christ have already entered eternal life. And this is eternal life that they may know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. John 17, 3. I'm not going to belabor this. It seems like an obvious point. But the lie that has been told us about it is that nature is more important than people because nature is permanent and we are temporary. An illustration of this is the environmental movement, climate change. So climate change on the one hand and abortion on demand on the other 
are expressions of this inversion of the truth that people are eternal and nature temporary. With me? And not only so, God has assured us that he will take care of the earth. I refer you to Genesis chapter 8. This is verses 21 and 22. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. And I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. Now catch this. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. God will take care of the planet. You don't need to. Questions or comments? That was Genesis eight twenty-one to 22. Okay, second problem about nature. The first is believing it's permanent and we're temporary. The second is worshiping nature. Now, I'm going to give you three verses, but I'm, I'm not going to, I want you to, we don't have time to turn there. It's Deuteronomy 4, and the three verses in Deuteronomy 4 are 2, 6, and 19. And I'm just going to briefly run through those. Basically, Deuteronomy 4, 2 says, here are the commandments of God, do not add to and do not subtract from. Crystal clear. And I suggest that neither Israel nor the church has ever obeyed that. We always modify <clears throat> the commandments of God to our, to our detriment. So don't add to the commandments. Don't take away from them. Verse 6 says doing that Obeying the commandments, the actual commandments of God, is wisdom. So, understand how important that is. What, what the, the chapter is saying is that morality precedes wisdom. If you want to be a godly man, you have to become a moral man first. And in becoming moral, Jesus discloses himself to you and you become Christ-like and you become wise. Now, if you do not follow what I just said, if you do not follow this process, you end up over in verse 19 and verse 19 talks about worshiping the celestial bodies and the rest of nature. That is, you end up being an idolater. Gentlemen, the world in which we live is now secular. And I suggest secularism appeals to the intellectuals, but it does not appeal to the average Joe like us. And Revelation tells us that the world does not end secular. It ends in the worship of demons. Demons. 
It ends in the worship of Antichrist. It ends in the worship of Satan. And men, there are signs today that we are moving in that direction. The environmental movement, for example, is loaded with outright pagans, outright nature worshipers. That's the direction we're headed. Keep your eyeballs peeled on that. Any questions or discussion about that? All right, moving right along. Hey, Lee. Uh, Slow on the uptake. Um, So back to the becoming conversive with my kids and grandkids about these transhumanist and, you know, bananas that's going on. Any recommended readings, websites? There's a book by John Lennox. John Lennox is a Brit. He's a mathematician. He's a super smart dude. And the amazing thing is, he's one of us. He debates atheists and skewers them. Um, He has written a commentary on Daniel, which is excellent, I recommend. But he has also written, most recently, another book called, it's entitled 2084, like 100 years after 1984. And he explicates the stuff that I just said. He does a really, really fantastic job. Anything else? Let's talk about history. You live in a time that views, embraces what I would call the myth of progress. That we are getting better and better. And part of the myth of progress is to denigrate and criticize the past. That's why anything Christian, anything about Western Civ, all that that created Western Civ must be criticized, destroyed, and replaced with its opposite. The truth is, God's the author of all history. And, though we know more about nature That has not caused us to either know more about morality or to become more moral. And in fact, it's done the opposite. So, in talking to our kids, you've got to to undermine in their minds, because they're going to be taught this myth of progress. You've got to be able to, to attack that and talk with them about it. And say, listen... See, part of the myth of progress is we're masters of our own destiny. That's not true. History has already been written. It's already, it's a fait accompli because it was written by God. We're simply watching it unfold. Man is not the master. God is. And he isn't making any mistakes. Part again of the mission of the myth of progress is to create an earthly utopia. Basically, the myth of progress is a Christian heresy. It is a Marxist 
ideology and Marxism, in my opinion, is the last Christian heresy. Because Marx outlined a means for creating a utopia and for redeeming mankind. Very Christian. He was exposed as a child to Christianity. Don't know what happened. But obviously it didn't take. Okay, let me just summarize all of this. All of life's great truths are eternal rather than temporal in nature. All of life's truths are eternal rather than temporal in nature. In principle, they are available to all generations equally. We are not advantaged over our ancestors. They knew things that we've forgotten, important things, and there's much to learn if you choose the right people to read. Now, the one exception to this is the New Testament. The New Testament advanced our knowledge by light years, but it is the last word to the human race before Christ returns. Fourthly, the only knowledge that has increased is of temporal things. And men, that was predicted in the Bible, in Daniel 12.4. And I suggest, men, that the Internet is a great source of temporal knowledge, or more accurately, temporal information. And temporal information and knowledge are crowding out our time and interest to think about eternal things. Men, there are a lot of good things on the internet. But it has the power to destroy your soul, to distract you from the things that matter. And it'll surely do that to your kids if you don't monitor that very, very carefully. My sense is the result of all all of this is that with respect to eternal things, we are impoverished compared to our ancestors. And finally, we must speak the truth in love, huh? Ephesians 4.15. But how we do this is going to require careful thought and prayer. And then I've got a whole bunch more here. But I want to... What I want to turn to now is I want to talk a little bit about thinking. And I want to talk about thinking because of Romans 12.2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means to change how you think. All permanent change begins with changing how you think. I'm going to read for you a poem from from T.S. Eliot. And he's teaching us some lessons couple lessons about thinking that I want to talk about. Here's the poem. The eagle soars in the summit of heaven. The hunter with his dogs 
pursues his circuit. O perpetual revolution of configured stars, O perpetual recurrence of determined seasons, O world of spring and autumn, birth and dying, the endless cycle of idea and action, endless invention, endless experiment, brings knowledge of motion, but not of stillness. Knowledge of speech, but not of silence. Knowledge of words and ignorance of the word. All our knowledge brings us nearer to our ignorance. All our ignorance brings us nearer to death. But nearness to death, no nearer to God. Where is the life we have lost in living? Where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? Where is the knowledge we have lost in information? The cycles of heaven in 20 centuries bring us farther from God and nearer to the dust. Eliot's warning us of a couple of things. The first is about stillness and silence. Being alone with God. Amen, if you're, if you're an introvert, you have to learn how to be with people. If you're an extrovert, you have to learn how to be alone. Both things are necessary. But gentlemen, being alone with God is indispensable. If you're going to become a godly man, if you're going to become Christ-like, you have to make that happen. You have to. That's where the still, small, small voice is heard when you're alone. He makes a second point about thinking. Where is the wisdom we lost in knowledge? Where is the knowledge we lost in information? What's he saying? Well, information is certainly not knowledge, and knowledge is certainly not wisdom. And information is necessary to live. Information is necessary for knowledge. Let me suggest, men, that you have a couple of problems when you're dealing with information. And you can think about the Internet with this or, or anything else you read. But you're, you're reading information and what you have to do is decide number one what information is true and what is false so that's a big that's a big task today so now you separate what is true and again going back to the point we've made before the bible is the only source of infallible truth therefore you filter everything through it so your first task is to separate out true from false information. Your second task then is to take this true information and correctly assemble it. Chesterton says thinking is making connections. That's true. You have to take your information and make 
the proper connections with the information. And when you do, it becomes true knowledge. But knowledge is not wisdom. For knowledge to become wisdom, you have to integrate it into your soul so that it becomes part of you. And gentlemen, that takes time. It takes, it takes prayer. It takes thinking. It takes the Holy Spirit. But your part of the picture is being alone with the Lord Jesus as he speaks to you. As you make connections. As the Holy Spirit makes connections for you that you couldn't have made. Am I communicating? Do you understand? I don't know the name. Um, oh, Courses from the Rock. Yes, thank you. Courses, courses from the Rock. Gentlemen, as I said, all of this information, knowledge, wisdom is about soul formation. It is about getting Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit into your soul. But let me make one other observation about all of this. When you live in a world in which information is cheap, like it is now, information is very, very cheap today. Then focus becomes very expensive because we've got information coming at us and you need it, but it's coming at us like a tsunami and it's overwhelming us and we're getting lost in information. And that means you have to focus like a laser beam in order to do the thing we're talking about where you're alone with God. And men, when you're, in, when you're in the Bible, there's two really fertile areas to help you and guide you in your growth. The first is passages that you don't understand or passages that you think are contradictory with one another. Those are really important passages to wrestle with. And the second thing are passages that you disagree with. They might even make you mad. Because what you've just stumbled upon is a place where you are wrong. And you have time, you have time to correct it. If the Bible makes you mad, if you disagree with it, you're wrong, not it. Do something about it. Any discussion? Trevor, are you going to yank me? Or? Five minutes, I am. Okay. Gentlemen, there's a lot of things that can distract us from this. We've all got a lot of other interests, and a lot of those interests are good interests. As we talked yesterday, to do this, you're going to have to say no to a lot of good things in order to do the best things. You're going to have to make hard decisions. Fatigue can take you off the course, lack of interest. But there's something else that 
um, I think has insinuated itself into our culture. And that insinuation is that God is not good. Men, that insinuation is evil. Is life fair and just? Crud, no. That's a command of the obvious. Is your personal suffering fair and just? No. But again, men, I suggest to you, as Micah pointed out, if you want justice, you'll go to hell. And not only so, the most unjust thing that ever happened, happened to Jesus Christ. And men, the bedrock of your walk with Christ let me suggest to you, is the sovereignty of God. God is in control. Repeat that. He is in control. Everything flows from Him. Nothing happens without divine permission. That next heartbeat was by divine permission. Everything big and everything small is His. And the second component of that is he is not just in control, but he is good. He has your best interest at heart. And the only guy that can screw up is you. Nobody else can touch you without divine permission. And when God allows that, it's because, he's, because he loves you. We cannot allow the insinuation that God is not good to be part of our walk with him. Make sure you're square on that before you leave this retreat. Gentlemen, I'm going to repeat myself again. Everything in life, everything has to be understood through the Bible. Do you understand that when you open that book, you've been given a miracle. It is a miracle that God wanted to communicate to us. It is a miracle that he was able to communicate to us in a way that we can understand. It is a miracle that he chose these guys to write his words and make them what we have in the Bible. And it is a fourth miracle that God preserved them and that they have come down to us intact, written the way God meant them to be written. You hold a miracle, it's precious. Let's covenant together to treat it that way. To finish the race. God would not allow us to be any further embarrassment to him. We've had enough time to screw around. It's time to be serious. I love you guys. Thank you.